Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're looking at the business of solar power purchase agreements, or PPAs, as they're often known. These essentially connect corporate energy users with new sources of solar generation, solar in this case. Now, some of uh, our loyal listeners to the podcast may remember a previous episode in Series 10 with Alpique and Aquila Capital, where we looked at PPAs in Spain with its plentiful wind and solar resources. Today, we're heading a bit further north, all the way to Sweden, and talking with Harold Oberholm, founder and CEO of Alight, which is the Nordic's leading solar PPA company. Hello, Harold. Hello, John. Uh, pleasure to, to join you. Uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Harold, um, not all of our listeners will be familiar with the, the world of PPAs. So can you start by describing your proposition for customers? What essentially do you offer? Oh, yeah, absolutely, John. Um, so we offer, as you're saying, we offer PPAs, power purchase agreements, which is something that others offers as well. So it's not a unique product from, from our end. So I'll, I'll just take um, a, a brief moment to explain the concept of a PPA. It's sure. essentially, you're selling power, you're selling solar power to, to companies. What's different is that you're selling it from something new. You're building in a new asset. So, so on our end, we build own and operate solar assets, and that allows us to sell the power to corporates. And they wouldn't buy it if it wasn't better power. So it's better because it's cheaper. Um, mm-hmm. it, it creates a saving for them. Uh, it locks in cost over time. It's also, of course, better because it's sustainable. Um, and there is this aspect of, we call it additionality sometimes. Additionality just meaning that by signing up to this agreement, they have helped something new to happen. They've added something. Um, so they know that they know their electricity they're buying is coming they know exactly where it's coming from. It's coming from a specific asset, a specific solar array. Exactly. And sometimes it's so obvious because it sits on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. So we're selling, essentially selling power uh, to them from, from, from an asset that we've built within their um, perimeter, within the real estate. So then it's, then it's completely obvious that it comes from something that's specific. But you can also do it grid connected. You can sell power from from a big solar field. It's still going to be a specific field, so they know they can go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can take their clients there or their employees there. Um, or have a, can, a picture of it on their annual report, for example. That's very popular indeed, and they can yeah. even name it. So we have um, several of our sites are named after our clients, and it's a, it's, a, it's of course it's a point of pride for them. So yeah, yeah, that's just a very tangible way to understand what a power purchase agreement is. Okay, and they, I guess they can do that themselves, and some do build these sort of solar assets themselves. But in your case, you're building that, and you've got a long-term agreement with them. You put the capital in there, and they're buying the output, yeah? Absolutely, and of course, exactly, the uh, the option to build this yourself and invest the CapEx yourself is, is an alternative to the PPA. It's another part of the market, if you like, and, and mm. I think my... My general view of the market is that those are different niches of customers. Um, the um, the typical current customer, um, the typical commercial customer, doesn't have a team that knows uh, how to do this. There's no, there's it's not a core business for them. Yep. It's not something they should know how to do. So, 
they need power. They don't specifically um, need to learn this. But then you have customers that have a specific interest in, in solar or maybe some very specific, like real estate customers. Maybe it's a very repetitive thing for them. It's yeah. actually almost core for them. And then they might definitely build out solar um, by their own means and, and build up that competence. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's delve into some of the detail in a bit. But first of all, can you tell us a bit about Alight, your company? Uh, give us a few headline facts and figures so our listeners can get a feel for uh, for what you do or the size yeah, absolutely. That you do. So we set up the company eight years ago with a very simple intention of driving subsidy-free solar. And, and subsidy-free solar, just the idea that the, the energy transition into solar will be driven by commercial demand for solar. So we focused on the commercial and industrial space. Yep. We call it CNI sometimes, commercial and industrial, um, because those uh, those people use 70% of all power in society. So logically, in the end, they would be a, an enormously important driver for, for changing the way we use power. Yeah. So the mission of the company is to make it very simple for these customers uh, to get new solar power. Um, and when we set up the company, uh, the European market for solar was very much driven by subsidies, by incentive schemes. So yes. we were ahead of our time. I mean, probably too ahead of our time. Guilty of being. It's good bit. to be early sometimes, but was it too early, or wait, you know, that's, were they tough those first years? It probably was a little bit too early, but yeah. but, but not too much. I mean, even though we survived yeah. until today, but no. But it was really the early years was all about justifying. You know, why were we doing this to everybody, including the customers who've never heard of this before? It's a lot um, of education of the market. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, which is, yeah. of course, very tough, but yeah. maybe strengthening as well. I don't know. Um, yeah. Now the market has really come around to what we do, and it's it's an, an immense shift. We call it uh, solar, or I hear people call it solar 2.0 these days mm. because, you know, the solar market in Europe is suddenly very much driven by commercial demand. Um, and then it, it's, of course, fantastic to know that we've, we've had all the time to refine what we do and understand the market. So... Very happy about that today. Um, so, how how many customers, or how many megawatts, or whatever metrics you use? We've been on a very rapidly escalating curve. So the so we've we've installed about fifty megawatts this this far. And you know, the early years we did, and this is across about fifty installations. And it, it tells you something about how small the initial installations were. So we started out doing things like 60 kilowatts on a rooftop and then, you know, 100 kilowatts on a rooftop and then 200 kilowatts on a rooftop. And then we got into the grid-connected side because customers were asking us to do more significant projects. So we did um, several times in a row, we did the largest solar park in Sweden. First it was 12 megawatts, then it was 19 megawatts for, and all of this for big commercial customers. So even if the projects were small, the customers were big, like Toyota is a... uh, a repeat customer of ours, yeah. um, Swedbank, one of the largest banks in the region. We provide about thirty percent of, of their power in Sweden. Um, so we've done in small projects for large customers, if you will, and then it's 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 transformed now into large projects for large customers. So we now have, I mean, if we said that we've done about fifty megawatts this far, we now have roughly a gigawatt of projects under production or or in in the pipeline, as it were. Okay, and that gigawatt will that be spread across? Presumably, not a thousand customers, but ten, a hundred. Exactly, something in between there. So, so when yeah. customers have increasing, you know, many of these customers they have large power needs, and it's ultimately the, the power need is ultimately ultimately what what sets the 
the limit for how how, yeah. how many PPAs yeah. they can buy. And as the market is becoming more mature, the customers feel more confident in in providing a lot of their or getting a lot of their power from PPAs. So yeah. we've gone from doing the the pilot thing, you know, the risk free small thing. Yeah, the experiment. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the you know the small corporate experiment to being you know significant provider of power. You know, someone. And as, as we know, you know, with the power prices uh, in Europe, um, this is strategically important, yeah. not just for sustainability reasons, but simply in order to lock in costs. So yeah. um, the, the attention is suddenly high and then the, the, the project size um, comes with that. Okay. So I want to ask you in a minute about the your customers and what you've learned and is it the, the CSR people or the finance director, but come to that in a minute. The... That gigawatt pipeline you talked about, the split between rooftop or on-site and off-site, um, yeah. is that, how is that evolving? Uh, is it changing? Is it similar split? What is that split? Um, I the, the, um, the big transformation on the European level now is that behind the meter, PPAs is growing very rapidly. So the, the commercial interest for solar on the European level started out with grid connected. So two or three years ago, you would only be hearing about grid connected PPAs. Um, and that is, of course, I mean, so solar sites mm. that are kind of separate from the customer. Yeah. And but 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 then directly, of course, logically, in the wake of that, the, the interest for behind the meter has been growing massively. And and um, it, that's been the case in the U.S. market for a long time. So I think people are also in Europe looking at at the U.S. market. Sometimes it's actually you know, the same companies with yeah. with a big behind the meter PPA footprint in, in the U.S. and now they want to bring it to Europe. So that's happening rapidly, and because of that, suddenly the the behind the meter pipeline that we have is is growing fast and it's catching up in size with the grid connected pipeline. Otherwise, of course, grid connected is always has the benefit of every individual project being quite big. So it's yeah. easy that the megawatts are, I think in, in, at the moment, um, we still have a few more megawatts in the pipeline on the grid-connected side, simply by merit of a few of those projects being very large. Small like numbers of big projects, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then we see behind the meter, um, I mean, we see requests for proposals now for, from large customers where they have uh, clustered multiple sites. So the, so the behind the meter ask might be for like 15 megawatts but to be provided across 10 rooftops or or, or multiple sites uh, and this is exactly what we've seen in the u.s for a long time so yeah. you know walmart um 10 years ago in the u.s walmart asked for like 150 megawatts of behind the meter um ppas across roughly 100 rooftops but that was one single request for proposal and i think that's that's the um transformation we're now seeing in in, in europe of, of market demand I think that's really exciting because I guess that does two things. It reduces the transaction cost when you lump together all those sites. Not completely because you've still got to survey each roof, but you're dealing with one customer. And secondly, the closer, the, the better you balance supply and demand, or the more that's balanced on a local basis, the better. So your balance by, I think, behind the meter is inherently better for the energy system oh, yeah. than... Yeah. Because uh, that's you're balancing supply and demand locally. No, behind the meter is fantastic, and I mean it's fantastic, not just for the customers, but as you're saying, it's it's a very good thing for society to do. And and the grid connected is as well, but grid connected tend to create a bit of problems as well in the 
especially for the grid. So, I mean, there's yeah. always this tension, um, <clears throat> but behind the meter is just straightforward good. Um, and I think ultimately what, uh, what's important about these larger frameworks is that they help corporate customers to consider behind the meter something significant. Otherwise, the risk is always that doing behind the meter on one site for a large company is so insignificant in terms yeah. of the savings you achieve that it doesn't really find its way up the corporate ladder to where it needs to be in order to to, to get energy. Um, yeah, it stays as an experiment like, or a pilot or a nice photo for a presentation or report. Yeah, no, but exactly, and it's it's not yeah. really worth the management time. But if you aggregate it, then you might reach you know fifteen twenty percent of the overall uh, company power consumption, and suddenly it's a really important you know. It's, you get management buy-in, you, you get focus, you get yeah. uh, clear timelines, etc. And, and that's what we need in order to, um, I mean, really early on in an early market, in an early commercial market, you're really held back by the fact that customers take a long time to make decisions. Um, yeah, I want to ask you about that. Um, I can just picture the people involved on the customer side, the facilities manager, because it's going on their roof, mm, uh, the finance director who's responsible for energy people involved with CSO who may have come up with a project um how's that can you give us an example of a really messy decision making process and no, then absolutely and, and you know there's uh I spend quite a bit of time reading general b2b sales literature if you like yeah. I remember this uh this is academic research about b2b decisions and they came to the conclusion that in in, in on average there's 5.4 decision makers involved <laughs> so you've got to sell it 5.4 times <laughs> exactly yeah no exactly and 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 these these 5.4 decision makers they do not have the same perspective so exactly like you're saying it's it's 5.4 different sales processes and i I think that's absolutely true um then what's wonderful in a maturing market is that the customer might have done quite a bit of the selling themselves internally before they reach you so we now have the privilege of having a pipeline where we can actually screen customers and and say we only work with customers that have pre-existing decisions to do solar to do PPAs, et cetera. And that means that someone internally, the internal project manager has done the selling for us, (laughs) which is so much better than us having to do the selling. But you still do, you know, you still get the, um, the finance, uh, you know, the, the the corporate headquarters, finance people turning up at at the 11th hour with that one really important question that they forgot to ask when they should have asked it. And, And that's just the nature of corporate selling. So, um, I tended to be very annoyed by that early on, but then I've come to realize that that's actually the part value. of the business. Yeah. Well, that's what the value we create in the market is yeah. that we have the readiness to handle that and we know how to handle it. And that's why we have a business. And, you know, that's why we bring value. If, if it was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> so. so if you think about who you're, I mean, the other thing with B2B sales, I guess, I was going to ask you who your typical contact is, but with B2B sales, there probably isn't typical because every organization is different. The job roles yeah. will be slightly different, yeah. but maybe what's the most common, who's the most important customer to you or what's the most important role to you? Um, it's a procurement manager and they've been appointed by procurement and, and probably they've been appointed to the job because they have some sort of pre-existing knowledge of either energy or real estate Um but they've most likely been appointed by the some sort of corporate procurement function or, or um, yeah, similar and something maybe under the CFO's office yeah. or, or. Okay. Um, and, 
Have they been appointed by procurement people focused on energy or general procurement? I'm trying to understand, is this an energy decision now yeah. more and more? Or is yeah, it no, a different decision? It is decision? clearly an energy decision. It's, it's not a sustainability de- so, I mean, sustainability drives the interest in this, um, yeah. and it's important, but the decision as such is an energy decision because it cuts right into the energy opics. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, to all intents and purposes, energy is what they have to evaluate. I mean, the, the sustainability value is kind of a given almost. Um, they don't have to spend a lot of time yeah. reflecting upon it. It's, they it's can check that box themselves. <laughs> yeah. So my American mentors and colleagues, they always tell me, like, you don't have to sell the green bit of solar. The customers know about that. Like, they, it's just boring them, you know. They, yeah. yeah. Uh, to, to tell them about money and, you know, tell them yeah. about all the important specific bits about energy cost. Because that's where they have to put in the, the actual thinking in order to figure out, yeah. is this, you know, are they buying this at the right cost at the right time with the right terms and conditions, et cetera. That's, that's the difficult bit. So, And on that difficult bit, I was going to call uh, ask you, what's the biggest objection? That's maybe a bit of a negative way to ask, ask the question. <laughs> but uh, what's the, what do your customers, what's hardest for them to get the most comfortable with? Or what's the biggest issue you end up talking yeah. about so the, yeah you can answer in a few different ways i mean first of all let's, let's just um so the average customer they have to see a, a day one saving a year one saving if they don't if you don't if they don't see a year one saving they're not going to do the deal it's just that simple yeah uh, and the sustainability bit has helped them to get around to doing this and it's, it's tremendously important but if there's not a day one saving it kind of goes against the whole idea of running a business um, and it just gets very, very difficult. Um, so that's where it starts. I mean, if they don't see, and sometimes you're asking about objection, but you know, sometimes figuring out what actually constitutes a saving in a behind the meter deal is not trivial. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you have to understand the existing cost stack, and 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 then you have to make assumptions about how that cost stack is going to evolve. And you know, so just getting the customer to a point where they feel confident about the saving is actually yeah, it's not trivial, and it's mm. um, that's where we spend probably most of our sales time, if you like, on those yeah. specifics. Um, what about the one, year? What about the year ten saving or the year fifteen saving? Because well, these are long well, contracts people are signing up to, or is it very yeah. weighted to the short term? I think it's emotionally very weighted to the short term because if they don't see a day one saving, they're not going to do the deal. But if you and then the customer in general, if you feel confident about the overall lifetime savings, it's very easy to create a day one saving because if you have to, you can just tip the power curve yeah. if you like to. to. So, yeah. so of course, you're right. I mean, the logical way to look at it is actually there's a there's a key number that we recommend. Um, it's it's the net present value of the yeah. lifetime contract savings. Um, and, and you can only get there by having some sort of alternative power curve to to compare it with. So you have to start by settling on what you think about the power future. And you can you can obviously buy that from some consultant or something, but then you have yeah. an idea of like this is your your base case forecast for the next 15 years of power. Yeah. Then you put RPPA next to it, there's a delta, um, you discount it back to year one, net present value, and then you have your aggregated saving. Sounds um, logical and straightforward, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's you know it's logical and straightforward and then as we were saying on an emotional level it still gets back to are we saving money yeah you know, next year can we can we uh, do something with the budget next year can we can we get a better budget next next year yeah. can you help us do that um yeah. so yeah that's kind of how it works 
Okay. And um, some of our listeners may be thinking about to where you're based and where you started. I understand you work across Europe now, but solar in the Nordics and subsidy free, does all that go together at the moment? I presume it does. <laughs> no. uh, but some of our listeners may be scratching their heads thinking, well, it's not what I imagine the Nordics to be like. Well, like it's, it's like what they say about Broadway. You know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> No, but it's, you know, it's a, and I, I think it's a beauty of subsidy-free solar. So we're, we're completely subsidy-free. So, I mean, the fact that we're able to sell something means it works. I mean, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean that we're tapping into some irrational subsidy regime that shouldn't exist. Uh, it means that we make it work. So, and we're quite proud of that because mm. um, it works for us. We obviously have the margins we need to thrive as a business. It works for the customers. Um, they save money. Um and um, yeah, I mean, that's that's what we do as a business. We yeah. make it work. It's it's actually so. If you look at irradiation or insulation, I mean, the amount of of power from the sun that that, that falls onto <laughs> Earth, and you compare it in Stockholm to su- south of Spain, it's actually only a factor two difference. Mm. Obviously, to the benefit of Spain, but I mean, so so there's there's double the amount of solar irradiation in in, in the south of Spain. When you think of it, that's actually not a lot because when you, I mean, a lot of things goes into creating solar power. You have to think about the cost of capital, the cost of equipment, yeah. etc. Um, we play with half the amount of solar energy that the south of Spain does, but you know, we find other ways to to make it work. Um, well, I'm sitting here in Glasgow at the moment with solar panels on my roof, so uh, I can't exactly, talk about exactly. solar panels. Um, yeah. Harold, in terms of the energy crisis, the energy price crisis we've seen in Europe this winter, has that driven a lot of interest for you? Because customers are thinking, hmm, I thought I was buying green electricity, but why have my prices gone up? And actually, I'd value the certainty that I get through a PPA rather than relying on the market. Yeah, no, very much so. I mean, again, so sustainability drives overall interest in PPAs, but cost is really the um, mm. what makes you sign the dotted line as it were um and uh with what we've seen in europe i mean first of all the actual cost here now is is rising rapidly for some businesses but but secondly the long-term forecast is suddenly very different i mean they don't know what to expect over the long term they don't know if if this is the new normal if things can keep rising if there's just going to be volatility um so the incentive to sign a, a, a 10 or a 15 or even a 20 year power purchase agreement with a fixed price is obviously um, yes, obviously, it's just much higher uh, than it was uh, just a year ago. And, and it's hard to put a number was. on that risk management or risk mitigation, isn't it? Because the, as you say, the forward power curve that you compare the PPA to is now more uncertain in people's minds. So can people put a value on that risk mitigation or is that, again, does that come down to the emotion that you're mm. talking about? Yeah, and I think this is um, so corporate contracting of power. A lot of times is, I mean, in most corporates they don't do power contracting as a as a core business. They're not yeah. as um, sophisticated as you might expect. They're rational, uh, but they're just not as sophisticated yeah. as you might expect. If yeah. you go and talk to, there's another kind of PPA in the market. We call it the utility PPA, um, and and that's simply if you if you have a if you're building out a field of solar panels, you, you could go to a utility and sign a PPA with them. Yeah. Um, 
and they are hyper sophisticated. So they will, you know, price everything into that PPA and have very specific ideas of how they put the price on all kinds of risks, etc. Mm. Um, and, and that's fair enough. But we find that when you do business with corporates, it's a different matter. It's a negotiated deal. They, they might just be interested in doing the deal in a certain range of cost, and then they'll just simply test test the waters in the negotiation, yeah. and then they'll sign it. So they're not going to come to you with a with a mathematical model. Um, they, no, it's not like Chemical Works with a whole energy team because it's such a big part of their their cost base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, it's um, kind of and plus there's not an, an unlimited amount of PPAs out there to sign. So I think, yeah. especially now with with the interest we're seeing. It's really a seller's market. I mean, in, in, in yeah. Sweden, where we have most of our grid connected, you can't just go in. I mean, there's not that many selling yeah, uh, okay. a new PPA from a new solar side. So the corporates have to be sort of humble, if you like, in terms yeah. of what they're, what they're actually looking for. Well, and that increases the value, I guess, of behind the meter solar when they can be more yeah. in control of their own resources. Exactly, yeah. in control of the build-out, yeah. yeah. Um, Harold, I'm interested to ask you about storage and you know, I understand you've been looking at it, you're working with it, but how much, particularly for behind the meter, uh, mm. how much storage are you starting to deploy? How much do you think you will deploy? And, you know, where's the real value in that, uh, in yeah. deploying storage with your PV? Yes, let me start by saying that storage is not the bottleneck at all to deployment, right? I mean, to general behind the meter solar deployment yeah. right now. So, and by, what I mean by that is simply that just customers are not, um, they're not particularly asking for storage. They, they don't really know what to pay for it in Europe. Um, what is really interesting is that when we look at the behind the meter, the commercial behind the meter business in, in the US, um, in California and Texas, for example, the attachment rate of storage is almost 100%. It's not really, but it's, it's very, very high today. So, which means that almost every CNI customer in the US who's who's asking for behind the meter solar are they're demanding storage and they're willing to pay for it. And they are paying for it in, in various ways. Now that makes us think it's highly likely that this is going to be the case in Europe within three to five years, let's say. So because of that, we're deploying storage now and we're experimenting with it and, and we're putting it on the ground uh, mm. simply in order to learn and in order to figure out how to bring it into our value proposition. So do you think it will enable you to offer your customers a better deal? Or do you think your customers will want it because of other values it brings them? Yeah, it's a very good question. So, so storage can essentially do two different things. Either it can just help us make more money, and then we can um, we can pass the money on to customers by just offering them more savings. Sure. Or when you're putting it behind a meter, you can generate completely new value for the customer. One yeah. such obvious value is that you can create uh, resilience. I mean, you can, you can promise them uninterrupted power supply by by having the storage there yeah you can also help them to kind of uh change the overall fuse of the uh, grid interconnection because you you know you help them remove do some peak shaving etc yeah. so and then you're yeah you're, you're you're shaping your customer's power value in a different way and you can price that in, in various ways so and you could and, there's the value of ancillary services for example that could be something you capture and pass on or it could be something yeah, there are different exactly. ways to capture that value. So grid services, I mean, for us, if we put stores somewhere and then we sell grid services, ancillary services to the grid, then we get paid for that. That that would more be the first bucket yep. of value. You'll pass that value we on. Just make, 
Yeah. yeah, we just make money from it, and 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 if we have to, we'll pass the value on to customers in terms yeah. of you know increased savings, etc. Um, but but the um, but the actual value taker would be the, the grid operator, the service yeah. operator of the grid, who who would get some interesting um, stabilizing services into the grid. Yeah. Okay. So sounds like at the moment in Europe, you're learning about the value that storage can generate for you and your customers. Um, yeah, I think the market, you know, as a whole, you know, both customers and consultants and providers, we're, we're all learning and yeah. no one has really nailed the particular commercial concept in Europe yet, um, but we're all anticipating it. So I'm, it's, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens now <laughs> or this, yeah. is, this is when it starts happening, basically. And it's a bit of a simplistic question, but if you had to say where you think there'll be the most value, will it be to the customer in terms of resilience or grid fees? Or will it be to yourself and the value you can create from that storage asset? It, it, it's clearly starting with um, the um, the grid connected value. So now, now that we're building out the first storage assets, we're doing that as co-located storage assets on our grid connected projects. And actually, our customers won't even notice. So we're not even talking to the customers about it because it's uh, they're yeah. buying the power from from the site. We're we're simply putting um, a large battery energy storage system into the same site using the same grid interconnection to provide value to the service operator. Um, All the customers know is that there's another box you're putting on site. Yeah, no, exactly. If, if yeah. they visit the site, they'll notice the box, but yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's it. Um, so that's that's definitely where the build-up is going to start um, yeah. because it's, it's the simplest thing you can do. And, and you see now uh, DSOs, so the, the, the distribution service operators, the local grid operators across Europe, opening up small marketplaces or yeah. ways to price ancillary services. And that is going to make it easy to start selling to them. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely value coming to those markets, even if they're at the, the learning phase or early phase at the moment. Um, Harold, we better bring out the Talking New Energy crystal ball now. Um, All right. <laughs> and I'd like to set the DAV today to three years time quite short term and that's because your curve is accelerating quite quickly so it sounds like a lot will happen in the next three years um so yeah i'd like to ask you where you think uh a light will be in three years time or what your vision is for three years what you achieve in the next three years but also your biggest challenges in getting there so you might in those challenges you might want to reflect a bit on the challenges you've overcome to date and the challenges in the next three years are only that up to you absolutely so and it's it's an easy it's an easy question to answer because we really have the blinders on as it were in terms of what we're doing so mm. and it's such an enormous depth to our market so the important thing for us is just to do much much more of the same um, we we intend to be the most important seller of solar power to commercial and industrial customers across Europe, we want to be the number one leader as seen as such by, you know, in the eyes of customers, be the specialized leader that they think of first um, when they think of solar power. And across, all, across all European markets? Across the European markets, yeah. but, but really targeting the large Fortune 500 buyers of, of energy, if you like, which yeah. are typically multinationals. Yeah, um, And we'll get there by executing on a vast number of projects, of course. So I was talking about the one gigawatt pipeline. So we should have at least one gigawatt uh, under under production uh, or in in, in operation uh, three years from now. Uh, 
and accelerating that quickly. I mean, that just goes with the territory. If you're the leader, you're also executing by just putting more megawatts on the ground. That's it. Yeah. Um, just keep increasing. That, you know, that is the energy tr- transition, isn't it? Like it's, it's not more uh, sophisticated than that. It's all about putting the, the, the steel and the, and the glass and the panels on rooftops and on ground and just keep increasing the pace of megawatt deployment. Um, and the challenge, mm-hmm. you know, really the challenge to get there uh, and I have to be perhaps, perhaps a little bit boring here and as, as very generalist and just saying the challenge is to find top people. I mean, to just keep adding astonishing individuals to the team at the clip that we need. Um, just keep adding fantastic individuals and, and put them to good work in a, in a good culture where they get stuff done quickly and, and remove bottlenecks and move forward. I mean, that is truly exactly. the challenge over time. Is that across all parts of your activity or is it more on the sales side or on the build side or is it a bit of everything no it's a bit of everything isn't it like you need you need fantastic people everywhere but um we have two teams that really drive sort of the the front line of, of deployment and one of those teams as you're saying is, is the sales team so the people who sell to corporates that's that's where it starts like once they've sold then we can put it into production and so that's where we need to add most people most quickly mm-hmm. The other team is the team that helps us access um, sites, uh, so the, the the grid connected sites. Because if we don't have those sites, we can't sell them to the corporate. So it's also kind of like a frontline activity. But uh, but then once the selling is done, you know, um, getting the financing in place, getting the operation in place, procuring the panels, all of that, it, it, it's uh, it's not it's not trivial either. It just has to when you scale things up and you try to do more every day. It's just puts an enormous amount of stress on a team yeah. and a company. And the only way to overcome that is by having amazing people in a, yeah. and a good culture that lets everyone get and the to fin- work quickly. Securing finance isn't a challenge in terms of, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but that's not a bottleneck. No, of course, obviously it is a challenge as well. And I mean, yeah. uh, and we've had a period now when also actually having access to modules, you know, getting modules in place yeah. at the right time um, through the, the global supply chain also is you know, a bit of a bottleneck. So those bottlenecks, they come and go. and and um, But it's not an overarching bottleneck, I would say. I mean, financing for renewables has never been as good as it is now. It's like you have all these, this wall of money, as it were, yeah. hitting, hitting the market. Uh, across equity and debt, um, people who really want to put money into real assets with an impact angle. Um, so there's an enormous amount of money um, yeah. out there. It's never going to be simple to access money. No, but it's working. Yeah. And so it sounds to me like you've got your machine built. Of course, you tweak it, you get it running more smoothly. It's now really about the scaling of that taking the market opportunity for i don't know if you want to maybe i shouldn't answer the question ask the question this way but if another company was coming to this space what would be difficult or what do you think you've learned over the last nine eight nine years that enables you to be in the position you are now if you had to highlight one or two things that you look back and you think yeah, that was really hard to get right, but mm. you got that right. But it is really the corporate contracting. Um, mm. So, I mean, doing what we do in a subsidy-driven market where the offtake comes from a government or from a government scheme, etc., it's just a completely different business. I mean, yeah. we have to create corporate contracts to build out things out. And most of the corporates we meet are 
somewhat new to this space with all of the, the, the confusion and the hassle that you were alluding to previously, all the 5.4 decision makers yeah. trying to get in line, et cetera. And learning how to navigate that, you know, picking the right customers and then helping those customers reach decisions and being able to win their trust and, and, and move on to executing. It's, it is uh, something where you need to build a strong, you need a strong team, it's not a strong experience, strong intellectual property, a brand, yeah. you know, uh, everything in place. And that takes time. You know, it takes yeah, time. I imagine that's, you can't do that quickly. <laughs> you learn you that over learn. a number of years. You can't do it quickly. That's the thing. It's not, yeah. it's not impossible to do, but you just can't do it overnight. It's, um, mm. And so that that's the barrier to entry, if you like. It's, uh, it's very yeah. clear to us. Yeah. Well, it sounds hugely exciting what you're doing, Harold. Uh, I've got a ton mm-hmm. more questions that we didn't get through today, but uh, I think I hope for our listeners, it's a really interesting window on the world of solar PPAs and how you've grown your company. Uh, so yeah, best of luck in the next years building up that pipeline and increasing ever increasing the size of that pipeline, I guess. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic questions. I'm really happy to contribute to, to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Harold. And thanks as always to everyone listening. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, we'll come back to the world of PPOs at some point, I'm sure, soon. And look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.